Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Happy to be here with you in this first Sunday of Lent, according to the Byzantine liturgical calendar. We began our Lent officially actually two days before the Latin Rite begins theirs on Ash Wednesday. We begin ours on Monday. Actually, it's Sunday evening with the Sunday evening Forgiveness Vesper. So we're into our first Sunday, and the first Sunday of Lent in the Eastern calendars, many of them, the Sunday of Holy Images, and also the Sunday of Orthodoxy, meaning true faith. And you put those two together, because what we are commemorating on this first Sunday of Lent is what happened back in 843 A.D. The Empress Theodora pronounced once and for all the vindication of icons. This was a controversy that was raging for centuries in the Eastern churches and still exists today among many people who misinterpret the Bible about not having graven images or worshiping graven images, so they think we can't have any kind of images. But images are necessary because God himself became an image in the person of Jesus Christ. The Son of God, the second person of Trinity, became an image of his Father in heaven. So we can see God in that sense. And so we can then represent the image with images. We don't worship them, but we use them to help make present the image of God as he became incarnate in the second person of the Trinity in the person of Jesus Christ. And the raging controversy was called iconoclasm, which means icon smashers. So they actually went into churches and beat up the monks and destroyed the icons. This went on for a long time till finally the Seventh Ecumenical Council in 787 AD declared icons and imagery to be not only good, but necessary and holy. But this didn't totally stop the controversy of iconoclasm. It officially did, but it didn't in practice. It went on for a little bit longer, and finally Empress Theodora, the Byzantine Empire, said, that's it. Icons are vindicated. We must and can use them. And this happened on the first Sunday of Lent that year. So we have commemorated that ever since in the Eastern calendars. 
But on top of that, and because of that, we call this also the Sunday of Orthodoxy, the Sunday of true believers, that we believe the right way about icons, about imagery, the truth about it. And that is so important because we do not believe we can make images that help make present God, the Blessed Mother, the angels in heaven, then we're essentially denying the incarnation. We're denying the fact that God himself did not become flesh, did not become an image to us where we can see him, touch him, taste him. And so that's why imagery is so important. Think about pictures you carry around maybe in your wallet or in in your purse, pictures at home you have of people. You don't worship them, right? Why do you have them? Because they help make that person present to you through the image. What about a flag? You know, it's illegal to burn an American flag. Why? Are you a cloth worshiper? Is that why we don't desecrate a flag? Because we worship cloth? Just a piece of cloth, right? No, because that cloth, with all its symbolism, the stars, the stripes, makes present to us everything about our nation, its history, the sacrifices, and so on. It can bring a tear to somebody's eye. We stand and put our hand over our heart when the flag is flurled and they play the Star Spangled Banner at sports events, at least we're supposed to. And why is that? Because of what that imagery makes present. And that's very much the heart of our faith, especially the Catholic and Orthodox faiths, that we are all about making the invisible visible through the physical. And so on this day of the Sunday of Orthodoxy, meaning true believers, we also have the custom, it depends on what parish you're in, if they do it or not, but there was an old custom of reading the 64, I think it's 64, anathemas. The priest actually says out loud in a ceremony the names of the heretics who thought and preached that icons were not valid, that they could not be painted. We could not pray with them and through them. And so there was an anathema upon them. See, the Eastern churches don't fool around when it comes to true faith and heretics. They really go at it. And these names are mentioned. Imagine the Hall of Shame mentioned every year for centuries until the end of time in the Eastern churches. That's how important imagery is, how it has been all these centuries and always will be. First and foremost, it's because the invisible God has made himself visible through imagery, through things, through nature. And so we can portray that second person Trinity that way, as well as angels, the Blessed Mother, and saints. Now, iconography does not portray God the Father or the Holy Spirit, because neither one became incarnate. We come to know God through the second person Trinity, who did become incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, yet one person, the second person of the Trinity. So this first Sunday of Lent starts out very appropriately. We have to believe right, and we have to honor and use imagery. Many things come through the icons. Even miracles come through the icons. Many icons even weep. They secrete this oil, this ointment, this fragrant ointment that even has been known to even heal people. And there's no way to explain it. I've seen a number of them myself. I have some of that ointment. And a lot of this has been happening in our modern age. So you have to wonder what is being communicated here because our age is so full of strife and sin and not being able to see or reveal the invisible God made visible. And that's why what's happening in the Ukraine right now in Europe is very, very concerning. Obviously, it's very, very concerning. And the Eastern Catholic churches historically have always been at the 
epicenter of some of the most crucial global events. We just seem to be in those areas where these events are happening, and there's another one happening now. This other one that's happening is, of course, the invasion of Ukraine by the Russians. But it's not just about Ukraine itself. That's a flashpoint. You know, wars and things like this usually have flashpoints, the point or place or person where it all begins. But it's not about that person or place per se, just like the Civil War in America. The Civil War wasn't about slavery per se, but that was certainly a hingepin issue or, or a flashpoint for the war. And so it is with Ukraine. But there's something much bigger here going on. That's why we have to understand it correctly, because it ultimately affects the church, and especially the Eastern Catholic churches. In times of war, there's never, ever anyone whose hands are totally clean. We tend to identify a bad guy and then the good guys, and we're kind of told that too, especially by the media, politicians, the spin. But wars always happen because of events that led up to them. Things that go back even long ago sometimes. And there's always agendas. There's deals cut behind the scenes. There's the ambitions of different leaders, power-hungry and so on. And in fact, in the liturgies of the Byzantine Church, we pray out loud, and also the priest, in addition to that, prays silently prayers for civil authorities, for the leaders of nations, and for church authorities as well, because, as St. John Chrysostom says, the great Byzantine saint, human beings cannot, they cannot handle power perfectly, virtuously, especially without God's grace. And so when you're in a position, such as Vladimir Putin or President Biden, where you actually have the control over nuclear missiles, over sending armies to war, that is an awesome, awesome responsibility. And the discernment and responsibility is beyond what any human is capable of. And this is why even if the leaders don't rely on God or turn to God, the church does that for them through the liturgy of the church, especially praying many times aloud for civil rulers, leaders, authorities, and also those of the church. No human being can handle power adequately, even the holiest of them. In fact, there was a holy man, St. John Chrysostom, who said that. And not only him, but it is that way even in the scriptures. The scriptures call us to this humility and to be benevolent leaders. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. Not blessed are the proud and powerful. Blessed are the meek, as Christ said. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. So leaders are supposed to be the humblest of all, even though they have this awesome responsibility and they're honored and so on. They're supposed to be the most humble of all, the most reliant on God. Leadership is about service. It's not about power. And what's happening right now with this situation, Ukraine and Russia, is as all situations like this have occurred. Historical events lead up to them, come to a boiling point, people dig in their heels, they get stubborn, they get egocentric, there's agendas, deals cut, there's a lot of dishonesty, and we're told to look at things very simplistically as the bad guy and the good guys, and that's not the case. When we come back, we're going to talk more about some of the specifics of what's going on there. I'm going to give you some little more insight you probably won't get anywhere else because what's happening in that region of the world 
actually has a lot of Eastern Catholics to it, a lot of Eastern Catholic churches. In fact, it's a center for Eastern Catholicism in the Ukraine. And so I know things. I have connections. I can give you insights you won't get anywhere else. So we'll look at that when we come back. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Hoyer, your host, and I am with you, and I'm glad you're with me during these very concerning times, but also the wonderful time of Lent. And here we are at the first Sunday of Lent in the liturgical calendar, the Sunday of Orthodoxy, meaning true believers, and the Sunday of icons, of indication of icons. In my church, we have the children all have an icon in their hands, and they process around where we sing the hymns, and they put the icons in a table and there's icons just all over the place and it's just a wonderful thing. But as we're saying here, speaking of the Eastern churches and their traditions, we're always at the epicenter of some of the most crucial global issues. And right now, of course, the global issue before the world is this invasion of Russia into Ukraine. But the issue is not about Ukraine. It's about this. I'm going to give you some insights. You probably won't get anywhere else. You would get some of it, but not all of it. Vladimir Putin is, of course, a former KGB agent. He's from the old Soviet empire, and he longs to have that back. He believes that those countries that were once the satellite countries of the Soviet Union, under the rule of the Soviet Union in Russia, he believes that they all have to be reconnected with Russia. He thinks some of them belong back to Russia, such as Ukraine. And he also 
wants to set about a plan to get them back or reconnect them under his fold. In this way, he is, of course, not justified. He's not justified in going to war. But there's also something else at play here. And this is the part you probably don't get. Vladimir Putin is also one of the few leaders of the world who is not part of the great global reset. In other words, the most powerful, influential, wealthiest people in the world, the World Economic Forum and so on, that wants to basically control the world and reset civilization according to their ideas, to basically replace everything as we've known it with their image, their idea, where they will be all-powerful. Now, sometimes this was called a conspiracy theory, but actually, and I'm very much against conspiracies. However, these things are no longer conspiracy. They are fact, and the people that are perpetrating them even admit it. They speak in those terms. So Vladimir Putin is resisting that, and there's a pressure on him to cave to that, to become folded into this one-world order idea. Furthermore, he's concerned about Western influence and decadence coming into his nation. Now, he's no angel, obviously, but he's worried about influences. Many countries in the Eastern Hemisphere, the East Eastern countries, are concerned about that, about America and Western cultures exporting a lot of their particular decadence. Not that these other countries are innocent, but there's a certain kind of fear that these countries have of the influence of the West. And furthermore, NATO has, well, NATO, NATO in a sense is sort of surrounding or pinning in Russia. This is what Putin feels. They have missiles pointed at him. Now, NATO might say, well, it's because you're an aggressor, so you have to stop your aggression. And then Putin will say, well, if you put your missiles down, I won't be an aggressor. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis in America. I remember it vividly as a child. It's a very similar thing. The Russian communists were putting missiles near our country. They were putting them in Cuba. And there was a big showdown between America and Russia at that time. We told Russia to get those missiles out of there. It was a matter of who would blink, otherwise there would be nuclear war. We came very, very close to nuclear war all the way back in the 60s. I remember it well. So Russia pulled their missiles out. Well, it's the same way, only in reverse. Putin wants the missiles away from the border of his country, and we're saying no. Furthermore, the government of Ukraine, not the people, lots of holy people and churches there, especially Eastern Catholic churches in Ukraine, it's not them. It's the leadership is very corrupt, and it has given millions of dollars to the family of our current president. I could go on and on. But these are some of the dynamics that are at play, which means that no one's hands are clean in this. And that's always how it is when it comes to these issues in war. No one's hands are clean. And that's why diplomacy has to occur to the nth degree. Egos have to be put aside, agendas laid aside, and leaders need to try to cooperate with God's way to be a leader, to serve, to bring about peace, to cooperate with God's grace. And that's a tall order. Most leaders don't even think of that or care about that. That's why we pray for them. But there's another issue, too, in terms of the church there, and this has come up during this crisis. I'm going to read some excerpts from an article from the source called The Pillar, and the title is, With War Looming, Will Kiev, that's the center of Ukraine, Will Kiev Get a Catholic Patriarch? Now, that's very interesting. 
The article says, while the prospect of a renewed Russian invasion of Ukraine is becoming a reality, the Vatican office, which oversees Eastern Catholic churches, is considering a request that the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church be given patriarchal status. Now, just to explain, patriarchs for the Eastern churches are almost like many popes. Many Eastern churches, especially the Orthodox churches, have their own patriarch. In other words, he's the ranking prelate of that church. And according to Eastern ecclesiology, in other words, the structure of the church, the ranking prelate with his bishops and priests and people constitutes a complete church. Whether it's in communion with Rome or any other of the Orthodox churches doesn't matter. It's still a valid church. They would like to be, they should be in communion with each other, but many of them are not in communion with each other. They have excommunicated each other over different issues over time. But if they have a patriarch, bishops, priests, and laity, it's considered a complete church. It does not have to be under the Pope. See, in the Western ecclesiology, the validity of a church, priest, bishop, is that they are in union with the Pope of Rome. So it's a little bit different ecclesiology. So the Ukrainian church, the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church, was very similar to mine. The Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church does not have officially a patriarch. They have someone who's a major archbishop, and many Ukrainians see him as a patriarch, but he has not been declared as such by Rome. And one of the reasons is, is because it would anger or upset the Russian Orthodox patriarch, who is, of course, in Russia. And he would think that the Ukrainians should be under him, just like Putin thinks that Ukraine is part of Russia and should be folded back into Russia. That's what he thinks. So it's a real sort of point of tension. Rome, the Pope, the ecumenical people in Rome are kind of in a, in a pinch because they want to, of course, keep the Ukrainians happy, but they don't want to anger the Russian Orthodox. That's a very big ecumenical factor. So what do they do? It remains to be seen. Well, I'll continue with the article. During the plenary session of the Vatican's Congregation for Oriental Churches held last week, Archbishop Boris Gudziak, the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Archeparch of Philadelphia, presented a report on the possibility of establishing new patriarchates among the 22 Eastern Catholic churches in communion with Rome. Imagine that. They all have their own patriarchs. Some of them do, some of them do not. It is not yet clear whether the congregation will recommend to Pope Francis a change in status for the Ukrainian Catholic Church, which includes nearly 4.5 million Catholics, and which is presently headed by a major archbishop rather than a patriarch. That's what I mentioned earlier. But amidst the prospect of Russian invasion, appointment of a patriarch for the Ukrainian Church would be a, quote, great moral support across Ukrainian society, according to Anatoly Babinsky, a church historian at the Ukrainian Catholic University of Lviv, which is another great city in Ukraine. The Pope talks a lot about the need for justice in the world. That is why many in Ukraine do not understand why he does not give a moral assessment of what is happening. Russia is destroying all possible international agreements and principles, holding a gun to Ukraine's head and wanting to make the whole world play by its rules. A way to offer that assessment and symbolism would be to grant the Ukrainian Catholic Church's long-standing request for a patriarchate, says Babinsky, this Ukrainian scholar. So it remains to be seen what's going to happen. The Ukrainian bishops, some Orthodox agree, Ukrainian Orthodox agree that it's okay. The Russian Orthodox will not agree to that. The Russian Orthodox patriarch will not agree to a Ukrainian patriarch, not of the Eastern Catholic persuasion. But Many Eastern Catholic bishops, especially Ukrainian ones, do believe this would be a strengthening, a symbolic thing, if nothing else, to help bolster Ukraine, which is once again being picked on by 
the Russians. They suffered greatly, the Ukrainians did. The Ukrainian people in the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church suffered greatly under Soviet oppression at the hands of the Russians. And now, once again, they're being picked on and beat on. But again, as I said before, Ukraine is a flashpoint. It's really something that goes much beyond them. Putin's ambitions, Putin's complaints, what our complaints are, what our preferences and demands are, all that goes well beyond Ukraine itself. But when it comes to war, there's always some kind of a banner issue or flashpoint. And right now it's the country of Ukraine, which has many, many Eastern Catholics in it, called the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church is what they call themselves. Very much like my church, mine is Ruthenian, there's Ukrainian, just a very slight jurisdictional differences, but it's still a Byzantine rite, a church of the Byzantine rite. Let's all pray as we do during Lent. We ramp up our prayer. Let's pray for not only Ukraine, but all world leaders. Let us all pray that they will cooperate with God's grace. Thank you for listening. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. This is Father Donald Calloway from the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. As we are in our season of Lent, let us remember that the Lord's love for us is everlasting, that he offers to us a time of grace, a time of prayer, a time of penance, a time of almsgiving, so that we can have transformed hearts, so that we can grow in virtue. Read the scriptures, be a little more devoted in your prayer life, and watch the change and transformation that happens in your heart. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!